We are in the book of 2 Corinthians. If you would turn there with me, 2 Corinthians. Like I said a, a few minutes ago, I, uh, I, I really felt that I was, un, I was unsure whether or not I could emotionally handle preaching today. Um, and that's not because I don't love Jesus or that I'm spiritually dry in some way. It's, it's that I, I was emotionally compromised in, in what, uh, well, at least what felt like that. So I told Hoyt on Wednesday night, I said, uh, you better be ready. And he offered that. And um, I said, let me, let me take the morning on Thursday morning and just figure it out. And I got up Thursday morning and met with some staff. And then I, I grabbed a coffee and I just went out like I do oftentimes and drove around praying and praising God and listening to, listening to him. And uh, it was an amazing, amazing time. And as I, I did that, I got some clarity because um, you know, we, were, we were moving from one sermon series into another sermon series. And I didn't, I didn't have a clue what, how to even start the next sermon series in view of what's been happening. So uh, one, one phrase came to mind as I was praying and as I was, I was worshiping God and uh, clinging to him. And that phrase is our sermon title today. It is, yet I will, yet I will. And I've mentioned this many times before. I, it's a kind of a theme for my heart. And I, I think it should be a theme for all of our heart because I think that we need to be preaching to ourselves consistently through the trials and storms of life. And, and yet I will means this, it, it implies this, that, that even though something else is happening, even though my darkest day might be here, or it might be dark today, or I might be uh, stressed, or run down, or tired, or emotional, or grieving, or weeping, or, or rejoicing, even though whatever is going on in my life, yet I will choose to praise Him. I will choose to trust Him. And we're going to look at several different areas today that that we can, we can, we can uh, trust God in ways we can, we can say, yet I will. And, you know, we have deep hardships, and I mentioned this a minute ago, in families, right? Families in crisis or families in need. Marriages in crisis or marriages in need. Uh, people struggling financially and trying to figure out how they're going to make ends meet. Um, we struggle with loss, right? It's, that's part of life, right? We, we um, are born and immediately we begin to die. And and whether it's uh, we lose somebody near to us to death, or we lose somebody near to us in a relationship, or we, um, we lose a job, or, we, or we, lose, we lose our mind, there's loss. There's loss. There's sickness. And there is certainly sadness. So the question I want to kind of answer today is, what, what will help us gain a perspective and see God's redemption in these areas of our life? So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to read our text together, and then we'll, we'll go through the yet I wills. Let's pray. Father, again, we come before you. God, thankful for your mercies that are new every morning. God, we trust you today. We trust that you will meet us right where we are. That God, that as we open our hearts and our minds to your word and to be receptive to your spirit, that you will change us and you will guide us. And God, you will increase our joy and affections for you. We thank you that you are the same today, yesterday, and forever. And, and God, that you... You are eternal, and you are always consistent. Whether we are sad or whether we are happy, you will always be the same, and you will always be worthy of praise and worthy of putting our trust and hope in. So help us do that today as we look to your word, as we lean on your son, and as we are guided by your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 1 through 9. We're not going to explain through all of this, but we'll get the essence of it. Uh, interestingly enough, this is a, a passage of Scripture often used at funeral services as a means of hope and encouragement. And I think that we can do that today, right? 
beginning in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, since when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we are in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. In fact, we are confident and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. Well, let's go through some yet I wills. And again, I, I, that phrase comes from uh, the even those and the, and, the, and the distress and the hardship and the hurt and the heartache that we face. E- even though all of that happens, we need to have some yet I wills. So number one, yet I will be confident even as I groan. I will be confident even as I groan. Going back to that passage in 2 Corinthians 5, looking at verses 1 and 2. For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Starting there, it's so important for us to understand that we, that we are soul, and our soul is eternal, but we, our souls, are matched with this mortal flesh, this earthly tent. This body is going to fail, and it is going to die, and it will be no more. But we have a heavenly dwelling that's being prepared for us, not made with human hands. And, and as we think about that, I want you to carry that through the rest of today's message because the idea of made with human hands is like, it is something I can build, there's something I can make, there's something I can grab onto that will last. And in this world, there is not. But in the eternal, there is. So we know, I, I hope you know that this earthly tent we live in, uh, if it is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens not made with human hands, and that is there for us through faith in Jesus Christ. And in verse 2 it says, Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. We groan. Verse 6, We are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Think about this confidence. I want you to make this connection, too, of this groaning and this desire. In verse 2, it said, indeed, we groan in this tent. Anyone relate to that at all? Any groaning? No one. Oh, just me. Okay, I get it. I'll do more groaning for all of us then. There's groaning in this tent. I mean, the older I get, the more groaning happens. This morning when I rolled out of bed, there was groaning. I mean, it just is what is part of life. And then, and then not only the physical groaning, but the spiritual or the emotional groaning that happens, the fatigue that happens. And it's, life can be a full groan. But I want you to understand something about groaning because groaning can point us somewhere, but groaning definitely leads us to a desire. Right? If we're groaning, we have a desire, and God reveals what that desire is, but sometimes we, we go a different route with that desire. He says that we should desire, in verse 2, to put on our heavenly dwelling, that when we groan, it's actually a desire longing for heaven. It's actually a desire longing for something that is eternal. And that's across the board universal for every human being. God has set that in our hearts, that eternity in our heart, that when we groan, it should reveal that there is a desire for, for no more groaning. 
There's a desire for something heavenly. And, and most times people think, yeah, there's a desire. And what they chalk it up to is, I just have a desire not to groan. And my desire not to groan is, is going to be fulfilled by something that's going to make me smile. Or something that's going to take my mind off my groaning. Or something that's going to bring me pleasure. And it's all going to be temporary. And it's all things that we, we chase and we grab onto. You see, our groaning often leads us to chase and grab onto more of this life. But we should really be longing for heaven and grabbing on to heaven. You see, we can put a band-aid on life. We can long and, and, and grab for something that is, is more, more pleasurable or more, makes me more happy or helps me relieve my idea of this, this painful world. But that is only temporary. That is a temporary fix and it will not last. And soon we will be groaning again. And that groaning should point to a desire, a longing that really is for heaven. So what's the goal? You and I should hold on loosely to this life. We have to hold on loosely to this life. We hold on on tightly to our family and our friends and, 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 and the joys that we have. But we hold on tightly because we want to squeeze them with love. Knowing. Holding on loosely to them. Knowing that they and everything else will eventually be stripped away. But there's one who will not. And there's an eternity that will, will give us strength, will be a firm foundation. We groan, desiring to put on a heavenly dwelling. So we're confident. There's a confidence that breeds, right? We're confident and know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. I have a confidence in that, right? Uh, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Not by the things you can grab onto, but by faith. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Amen to that? I I mean, the the more I preach this to myself, the more I long to be away from here and with the Lord. Paul Paul said that too, right? He's like, I I know I'm way, way more what I'd rather be with the Lord. But but for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. and And he'll do whatever he needs to do for the Lord on this side of heaven until the Lord says, come home. So therefore, whether we're at home or away, make it our aim to be pleasing to him. Psalm 6 says, I'm, I'm weary from my groaning. With my tears, I dampen my bed I dr- and drench my couch every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. They grow old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all evildoers, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. I hope you can say that with confidence. I hope that as you weep, as you, as you soak your pillow at night, as you cry out to God that you know he hears you, that you have a confidence that he hears you. The Lord has heard my plea for help. The Lord accepts my prayer. And all my enemies will be ashamed and shake with terror when they turn back and suddenly be disgraced. Those things in life that get us down, it's not even people that are enemies all the time. It's the things in this world, just loss and grief. I, I want them to be disgraced when they look and say, why isn't he so down? Why hasn't this ruined him? Because I have a confident trust in God. Those things happen, yet I will be confident even as I groan. Because I'm longing for a heavenly dwelling. It's not because I don't weep, but because even though I weep, I am confident in him and I long for heaven. I want to share a story with you. And I think I shared this at Wednesday night Bible study when I was covering for Hoyt. I've shared it to a few people, but it, it touched my heart and it wrecked my heart. And it's going to sound cute to you, it's going to sound like almost like an adorable Brandon's telling a story about his kids again. But I, I want you to, to think about the deep theology 
that's rooted in my daughter's mind and heart right now as I share this. About a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, my daughter came home from school on a Friday. Mathia had picked, them, picked the kids up, and they got, got home. They pulled in the driveway, and it was my day off, so I was there. And, and I started walking out the front door, and my kids are getting out of the car, and, and Bailey gets out of the car, and she takes the door and shuts the door, and now she slams the door, and, and her thumb was still there. So she slams the, the, her thumb in the door. I mean, just blood-curdling scream, like just. And then she screams once, and then she takes a breath and realizes what is going on, and her thumb is stuck in the door, and she just screams again. And we're running out there, and Mathia's opening the door, and she gets out, and she's just, now she's in shock. She doesn't know what to do, and I, you know, I'm trying to look and assess. I'm not seeing anything going sideways, so that's a good thing, right? It's like swelling, and there's a little bit of blood, so we take her inside, right? Let's, let's, let's assess this. Let's, let's take care of her. We carry her inside. We, we let, her, let her sit on the, on the bathroom toilet just to, uh, I'm sorry, Bailey, if you watch this ever, I, I love you. You're awesome. But uh, she's sitting there, and she's, all right, she's kind of hyperventilating, so we take, take deep breaths, and she, she really calms down as, as we blow air across her, so we're, we're blowing on her and fanning her, and she's calming down, but she's so like distraught about what's going on, and, and it, I mean, moved to, to throwing up, right, and, and just, it, it's, a, it's a rough situation. Now, her thumb was fine, but she, we're in the bathroom, and she looks at me and says, Daddy, why would God want this to happen to me? Why would he want this to happen to my thumb? I mean, I'm daddy, I'm, right, I'm, I'm about just to break, up, break down right there, right? Why would God want this to happen to my thumb? I said, oh, Bailey, God doesn't want that to happen to your thumb. But it, it, it does happen because this is a fallen world, and this world is, is full of pain and sorrow and suffering, and, and he wants us to long for more of him, and he wants us to long to be in heaven because in heaven, I asked her, what, what, what's heaven like? She's like, there's no pain and no suffering. Yeah, there's no tears, there's no pain, there's no suffering there. And she made this comment. She says, Daddy, I wish I could just reach my thumb up into heaven right now. I just want, to, I want my thumb to be there where there is no pain. You see what groaning should do? It should make us desire and long for heaven, for a heavenly dwelling. So often we just, just make the pain stop, cut it off, give me medicine, whatever. Like, No, she wanted, she wanted to reach up into heaven. And she said, Daddy, would you pray for my thumb? I'm like, yeah, I'll pray for your thumb. And I prayed for her thumb. I prayed that, that God's heaven would be right here seen in her thumb. That her thumb could heal and, and be whole and well. And a couple days later, she, she reminded me, Daddy, my thumb's doing a lot better. And God is, God is healing my thumb. But there's a longing in that. And I think it's so appropriate. Even in an eight-year-old, nine-year-old girl, like, it's so appropriate. That she understands the, the longing isn't to grab onto something in this life. The longing from our groanings is heaven. And that's where our hope should be. That's where our focus should be. So yet I will be confident even as I groan, especially as we groan. What's the next one? Yet I will trust and rejoice in God even as I wait. Even as I wait. So we groan and we cry out to God. We long for God and, and we say, God, this is going on and we want it fixed when? Yesterday. And part of, part of understanding groaning is it doesn't just go away. And, and it may be days, months, years before we see the redemption that God is and has been doing all the while. The book of Habakkuk talks about this and we studied this book 
as a church. But Habakkuk 3 says this uh, in 16 and 19. He said, I heard and I, I trembled within just at the distress and, and knowledge of what was going to happen. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. That does not sound fun. And here's what he said. He said, now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. God had said, there's going to be an invasion. You guys are going to get some hardship here. But one day I'll, I'll take care of that and I'll redeem that. But it's not going to be for a while. So, so Habakkuk says, I, I heard and I trembled. and I, It felt rotten inside. I was, I was just destroyed. But what was the attitude he had? He said, I will wait. I will wait. I must wait quietly for the day. He said, and what does that waiting look like? What does that season of waiting look like? It going on in 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there's no fruit on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, uh, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. You ever feel that in life? You ever feel like you're waiting? You're, you, you cried out to God and you're in despair. You've groaned for God. You've longed for heaven. And in that waiting for heaven, in that waiting for redemption, this is the picture. There are no figs on the tree. There's no buds. There's no olive on the vi- olives on the vine. The fields produce no food, and the flocks disappear, and there's no herds in the stalls. That, that is very likely what our waiting will look like. What's his response? It's, yet I will. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. Why? Why? We say that, and it's so. It, would, would I dare say that? You, you come to me, and, and you've lost everything, and you're so broken, and you're so in despair, and you're weeping, and I'm weeping. And then I say, but just celebrate in the Lord. What would you do? You would leave, or you'd slap me across the face. Like, don't you understand? We have to understand the why behind why we celebrate in the Lord. Why we can, even though all of this happens, why can we still rejoice in God. It says, I will celebrate in the Lord. Why? Because I rejoice in the God of my salvation. Remember that longing for eternal, that longing for a heavenly dwelling? He's the one that's preparing that place for us. He's the one that's making a way for us. And, and he goes on, he says, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. You know what he understands? That even through his waiting, even though he's waiting, even though the world looks like this during his waiting, God is still a rescuer. And God plants our feet on firm foundations, not allowing us to slip from him because he holds us fast and he holds us firm. He is our rock. He is my foundation. Psalm 13 says this. It's a plea. How long, Lord? Again, in our waiting, right? The idea is that we're going to trust and rejoice in God even as we wait. So the psalmist says, how long? How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Consider me and answer, Lord my God. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. Yet I will, or but I have, trusted in your faithful love. Even though all of that's going on in my waiting, and we ask, God, how long? So almost asked it. We can ask that. Even though we're waiting, how long? Yet I will trust in your faithful love, and my heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously. 
even as we wait, even as we groan while we wait, we can trust and rejoice in him. That's why when we come on a Sunday like this and, it, and maybe your heart is heavy, we sing songs and we preach the word of God uh, to our hearts. And we lift up and we rejoice all the more because we know, we know that he is faithful. We know he is, uh, it can be trusted and his steadfast love can be trusted. And we'll rejoice in his deliverance. We'll sing to the Lord because he has treated us generously. He has treated us generously through his son we have to trust that, that he is the only unshakable thing. And because he is, we don't have to be shaken and we can sing and rejoice in him. Trust and rejoice even, even as we wait. Number three, yet I will. This is a hard one. Yet I will see through the lenses of eternity even if it feels meaningless even if it feels meaningless. 2 Corinthians 4, it's, it's, this is a passage just before the earthly tense. They actually go together. And, and I'm going to get there in a minute. I, I listened to part of a sermon, and you're going to hear a little excerpt of it in a minute from John Piper. And he, he talked about the idea of meaningless. Like, like we, we see death, and we see despair, and we see sorrow, and we see loss. And we're like, that's just meaningless. And he would argue, like, how dare we would say that? How dare we would say that? Because you think about John, he, he mentioned John the baptizer in this, in this passage uh, of Scripture. And he, he shared, like John was, Jesus said about John that he was the greatest person born of a woman in, in the world. Greatest man ever that lived. Greatest, I mean, and so his life is going to be profound and his death is certainly going to be profound, isn't it? I mean, it's going to be meaningful, big time. Do you remember what happened to John? Right? John, if you didn't, I'm going to tell, tell you, right? John, John the baptizer, he's preaching and proclaiming uh, the, the, repentance for the forgiveness of your sin, and he's baptizing people, and he points to Jesus as, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as he does that, he's, he's, he's getting rough with people. He's like, listen, you need to repent of your sin. And he goes to the king and says, you're an adulterer. That's wrong. You need to repent of your sin. The king didn't like that very much and threw him in jail. Well, they, they hold a party, and, 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 and there's, there, I think it's his daughter, is that right? His daughter-in-law? Daughter. He does this dance at this party, and, and it was so favorable to all the guests. And, and the king's like, what, what can I give you? Name it, and it's yours. You know what she asked for? I want John the Baptist's head on a platter right now. He's just in the cell. He's just probably praying or praising or sleeping or what, doing whatever he's doing. And, and you, the guards come down. And John's there like, wait, what's, what's going on? Well, I, we, yeah, we're going to kill you now. We, you're going to take your head. Well, what? Well, there was this party and a dance, and she asked for your head, and he said yes. So just you can do this the easy way or the hard way. We can bind you. or what, I mean, whatever you want to do here. And moments later, John the Baptist's head is on a platter being presented as a gift. Was, it, was there any meaning to that at all? Does that feel meaningful? Not at all, right? But we, we don't get to determine what's meaningful or not. And in this passage we're going to read right now, we have to understand as we look through the lenses of Scripture, we look through the lenses of eternity, it, it can't be meaningless because God is sovereign over all of it. It doesn't surprise Him. And He is doing something with it. So in your suffering, in your loss, in the death of your loved one or your financial bankruptcy or whatever it is, 
my daughter's thumb being slammed in a car? That felt pretty meaningless until that conversation on the toilet in my bathroom. Until a few days later when she started understanding God's healing power and redemption. I, and I'm, I'm filled with pride and filled with, filled with tears because I'm such a jerk to think, God, this is meaningless. Talking about this spirit of God we have inside of us and the salvation we have, Paul writes, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal flesh. There's a purpose there, isn't there? That, that Christ's life is displayed through suffering. Christ's life is displayed through death. His life is being displayed. So then death is at work in us. Amen to that? You believe? I mean, I see it all around. Death is at work in us, all around us. But life in you, Paul says. Life in you. It goes on, for we know in verse 14 that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise with us or raise, raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything, you have to listen to this, we don't like it, everything is for your benefit. Well, wait, what? I, I don't understand. Well, you don't have to. Everything is for your benefit so that as grace extends through more and more people who are suffering, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. So everything's to benefit for the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. This is even more difficult, verse 17. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. What did Paul just say about our affliction? It was two things, momentary, and it was light. Like, are you for reals here? That, it doesn't feel momentary all the time, does it? It doesn't feel light. But how do we get to that perspective? How do we see through those lenses? Here's, here's the answer. He says, it's momentary light affliction. It's producing for you. So we have to see, what is this doing for me? It's producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. That suffering you're going through is not meaningless. That hardship you're going through is not meaningless. It is producing for you, it is preparing for you something that's incomparable. That's why it's light and momentary, because it's being compared to the incomparable eternal weight of glory. And verse 18 says, so we do not focus then on what is seen. That's what we do, don't we? We, we? we wallow in grief. We wallow in sorrow. We wallow in the physical and the loss and, and what we feel all the time. But we do not focus on what is seen. doesn't mean we can't know it's there, but we don't focus on that. But we focus on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It's not meaningless. It's not meaningless. And as we suffer, we identify with the one who suffered more. Do you understand that? 
Christ suffered more. I told you this maybe months or weeks, I don't know, sometime I told you this. The, this, this notion, you think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? In the fiery furnace. They didn't bow down, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in there, and he says, I thought, I thought we were bound, and I thought that we threw three men in there, and now there's four in there. And it looks like the Son of God, right? So what, what do we see? We see the picture of, of God's deliverance of these men and, and God's presence with these men. And what can the fiery furnace tell us? Well, certainly, when we are thrown into the fiery furnace, when we're in the heat of it, we have to understand that there is one that walks with us, reminding us of this eternal, reminding us of the incomparable weight of glory that is being prepared for us and produced for us because of our suffering. But there's one other thing to think about. This other one who walks with us is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you and I go through fiery trials, we must remember that there is always the one who has gone through a hotter, fiery trial than us. And I'm not talking about your neighbor. You, you may have gone through the most fiery trial in your neighborhood or in your city or in your county. But the Lord Jesus, he went through a hotter one. And now he's promised to walk with you through yours as well. So we see through the lenses of eternity and even when it feels meaningless, we know that it's not meaningless. Finally, yet I will hope in him even if he kills me. I will hope in him even if he kills me. Further study, I want you to go read Job. Just go read Job this week for further study. Job 13, 15, he says this. Even if he kills me, I will hope in him. That's what Job says. Even if he kills me, even if he slays me, I will hope in him. Psalm 102, I want to read this, this last psalm, verses 1 through 5, and it's, it's a deep and amazing psalm, but the psalmist says, Lord, hear my prayer. Let my cry for help come before you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of trouble. Listen closely to me. Answer me quickly when I call. For my days vanish like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is suffering, withered like grass. I even forget to eat my food. Because of the sound of my groaning, my flesh sticks to my bones. And he goes on and on, talking about this plight that he is in. And then towards the end here in verse 23, I'll pick it up. He talks about God. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. I say, my God, do not take me in the middle of my life. Your years, your years continue through all generations. Long ago you established the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years will never end. Now I want to stop right there before we read our last part of that verse. He's, he's griping, he's complaining, he's moaning, he's groaning. Rightly so. He's in the middle of his life. He's withering like grass. He sees that he's dying. His bones are hot. He maybe has a fever of some sort. Something is going on where he's like, I'm, I'm toast. I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. And I don't, I don't like this. You're, you're going to end me here, God. And, and what's the response here? He, he starts talking about who God is and being reminded about who God is. He says, long ago, you established the earth. What does that mean? Right? At the beginning of creation, 
Who was there? God was there. And, and God wasn't created. God is eternal. He sees and knows God. God, you are eternal. You were from long before and long ago, and you'll be long, long ahead. You'll always be. And he talks about when creation was established. And what else does he talk about? When creation will what? Wear out like a garment. Now, it's one thing for you and I to say that you and I will wear out like a garment, right? We know our days are numbered. We, we know when we feel our bones are hot or when we know we feel like our, we're withering up and we don't want to eat anymore. We, we know that. We see it all around us. But he goes on. He says it's not even, not even the people. He says the heavens. He says you establish the earth and the heavens. And they're the works of your hands. So the mountains and the stars, the, the, the expanse of the universe is what he's talking about. And what does he say about those things? Not only am I going to wear out, but I understand that what you created will also fade away and wear out. They will perish, but you will endure. All of them will wear out like clothing. You will change them like a garment and they will pass away. But he responds again and says, but you are the same, and your years will never end. And verse 28 is his hope. Right? He, he's talked about how, how he feels, how he groans, how he thinks death is soon. God, why are you going to kill me? And then he's reminded, oh yeah, your creation, you created it. And, and not, only, not only my flesh is going to die, everything that you've ever created will fade and die and be changed like a garment. It will all go away. And so where's his hope? Verse 28 says this in Psalm 102. Your servant's children will dwell securely and their offspring will be established before you forever. And you read this at first, like, I don't, I don't quite get it. He just got done saying everything's going to perish. The most grand mountain, the most amazing nebula or star expanse, the most, um, whatever you can think of will be changed and fade away and will be withered. But he, he glimmers back to the hope. He says, but God, your servant's children, right? Those, those who trust in you, your servant's children will dwell securely. And, and what it means is face-to-face in relationship with God. You, they'll dwell securely and their offspring will be established before you. Not just like, God, we're going to have more kids and it's, they're going to be great from generation to generation. No, this is talking about eternity. The promise of God, the faithful, steadfast love of God is there and, and giving us the hope and assurance that he, although everything else fades away, he will establish us forever. Those are of his servants, those who trust in him because he is abounding in faithful love. There's no foundation on earth that will hold. No foundation on earth will hold. No physical foundation, no building, right? No car that's going to break down and die. No mountain, no star, no physical foundation. And there is no relational foundation on this earth that will hold. And we, we spend too much time clinging to those things. There's a lumberjack, a story of a lumberjack for this analogy. And he, he was going to this, tree, this stand of trees and he was going to log it. And he saw, he noticed a, a mama bird going up to a tree and building it, starting to build a nest in this tree. And of course, she's building a nest for her chicks and they're going to thrive there, right? And he's like, ah, it's not going to work. And he goes over and starts banging on the tree. And the bird is up there like, what the heck is going on? I've just started building a nest. Why, 
Why is this guy pestering me? And, and what's the bird doing? She, she flies away. She flies over to another tree. He's like, nope, that's not going to work either. He goes over that tree and starts pounding on that tree. Come on, get out of there, bird. Move, bird. And the bird again flies to another tree. And so the lumberjack follows this bird and says, nope, that's not, that's, that tree's going to fall. You can't be in that one either. Starts pounding on that tree and pounding on that tree. And he pounds on the trees. Every tree that she rests in, he pounds on that tree until she finally flies up to a rock face and builds her nest in a rock. Because he knows all of those trees are coming down. But that rock is a firm foundation. He wants the bird and her chicks to have life. And God wants you and your descendants to have life as well. And God might be knocking on a tree right now, moving you from that tree. And we jump to another one. And he knocks on that tree. And what he wants you to do is build your life on the rock. And that rock is Jesus Christ. The stars and mountains will wear out. God is not permanently committed to any of his creation except for those who trust in him. He is permanently committed to his servants who trust in him. Hebrews, in fact, chapter 1, writes and talks about this psalm I just read. And, and, and here's a question I want to pose as we go through this and say, yet I will, yet I will, I'll still trust in you. The question is why? Why can we know that that's true? Why can we, why can we endure that? And I've given glimmers of that as I've gone through this message. But how do we know that he will come through? The answer is because he already did. The writer of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, writes and, and quotes this passage of Psalm 102. And Psalm 102 is this one like, I'm dying, there's no flesh on my bones, I'm, 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 I'm going to die soon, right? But, but it's all about trusting in, in, the, in the position that your servants, children, and descendants are going to have. That psalmist, when he writes, he says that this is either God, the Son of God speaking or written about the Son. And if you would reread Psalm 102 for extra homework and read it through the eyes of its pointing to the Messiah, you would see that this is a pattern or a type of another one who would come and who would be in agony and who would be dying and who would cry out to God. And he was forsaken and he was cut off and he was crushed so you and I could be healed. He was crushed so we could be, through faith in him, established as children. How do we know he's going to come through? Because he already has. And he has promised, and he's done that, so that you and I could be established as descendants. He has offered forgiveness. He's offered faithful love to us. And all we have to do is call on him and put our faith in him. Psalm 86.5 says this, For you, Lord, are kind and ready to forgive abounding in faithful love to all who call on you. He is the solid rock. I want to read just briefly a refrain from the, the, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Here, here's the song, and sometimes we need to read it and hear it. Just close your eyes and listen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness veils his lovely face, I'll rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. 
when all around my soul gives way, He then is all my hope and stay. When He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. See, God looks at us and says, because of your faith, and because of your faith in, in the blood of my Son, I'm going to love you unconditionally and forever. Even long after the mountains and the stars wear out, long after all of this fades away and we all wither up, he says, I will love you and I will establish you in my presence forever. So we can say, even though, dot, 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 yet I will still hope in him. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your love. God, it's, it's, it's tough to be on this side of heaven. And God, I, I, so, I so want to just raise my thumb up into heaven and get some of that right now. God, I long for that. God, help, help us to see that our groanings, our sorrows, our weeping, our waiting, our suffering is not meaningless. And that you are producing and preparing for us an incomparable weight of eternal glory. And you have accomplished it through your own suffering. That the eternal became mortal. The unchangeable and immutable became mutable and put on human flesh so you could die in our place. And you rose victoriously so you'd give us life. And God, our hope is in you. And it is on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So even God, even though through the storms of life, and as they prevail and as they crush against us, help us to say, yet I will praise you, yet I will trust you, yet I will hope in you. Even if you kill me, I will hope in you. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.